Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Post Analog Podcast for Generation X. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Post Analog Podcast, where it's for Gen Xers, you know, people over 40, though even Zoomers and uh, Millennials uh, can learn from because we do commentary, we talk about our life experiences, and we play a lot of music that is really dope for the older ear. But before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Now, you can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, which is my favorite, combat sports like the UFC, PFL, and esports. And let me throw golf in the mix. BetOnline continues to be the top online research for all your sports information. Anywhere from live in-game betting, props, and even futures. So what I need you to do is head to BetOnline today, or you can use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Here's the promo code. It's Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Hey, it's Charlie, back with Season 2 with the Post Analog Podcast. It's for people over 40 who are trying to adjust to this internet age and loss of context and the Karenisms, the Chadisms, and also just people who just want to cancel people. And we want to bring the old tradition back where we like to think about context. So the first few episodes are I'm going to have my uh, co-host Erica so that's a lot of cultural commentary and a lot of societal topics and human condition topics that are evergreen so you guys can keep listening to season one and two for that we also have my good friend Nathan so it's both societal but what we do is we play music for people over 40s because there's such an array and a list of really good music out there starting from the 2000s to present. And we tie it all up with, you know, uh, things to discuss about people in our age group, the Gen X age group. And for this first episode, though, I want to present this award-winning director, writer, actor, Sujata Day. Now, she released a movie on Netflix called Definition Please, and the plot line to that is a girl who became a small-town stay-in and is trying to find her way, like, in her later stages of attempting to move out. It's, It's really hearty, in a sense, because there's so many layers. There's about, like things that she wants to expose about the Bengali culture, how they're not a monolith, and you can't, you can't lump in like Pakistani and uh, all Southeast Asian uh, stereotypes into one. She was also on Insecure, which is, you know, for those of you who love like awkward black girl, another star in the former independent scene, Issa Rae. So she's one of the OGs for like propelling minorities god that's an old term minorities into the tv sphere and the network sphere and that's what sujata day is doing you know to be cc on on awkward black girl and to be on insecure because she has like this uh i hate to use this term but i'm going to use it this exotic non-specific look maybe if you're south indian you could tell right away but to me i thought she was south american when i first saw her on air or it could be mixed black, but you know, she's uh, of Bengali descent. So I present you the first episode of the Post Analog Podcast, Sujata Day. I think it's a good time right now to interview someone like yourself who is a grinder, right? It, it's a no excuse process. It's so difficult. Like even your, your Vimeo project a lot of people don't realize how difficult that is. It's like almost nine minutes, but that's a yeah. lot of work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Um, it, a lot of that, do you think that a lot of that is because you, you were born and raised like in the East Coast and that's a different mindset from L.A. because it's easy to be lazy here if you're like a native Angelino. I'm not sure if it's because I was raised on the East Coast. I think I've I'm naturally born to be a hustler and work really hard. And um, I did plays and musicals and performances growing up and was very artistic, but also naturally good at math and science. So I kind of did it all and um, carried it all on my plate and was able to do that. So I'm not sure if it's because I was a grinder because a lot of my friends from back home are, are not as ambitious as I am. (laughs) Right. So, or at least the creative ambition, right? Yeah. The creative ambition. I mean, they have really great jobs and are making tons of money in their field. Uh, But yeah, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's because I'm a hardworking gal from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Right. Because I I think your story also needs to be told that before we even get to definition, please. Is it Greensboro? What were you? Greensburg. Greensburg. Okay. Yeah. Greensboro is much smaller uh, a a town. But, you know, I I feel like I'm Filipino and Chinese. uh, You know, when you're raised in a smaller town compared to Los Angeles or New York, it's easy to for your parents to want to assimilate. But you guys, you had you had three temples. You were very proud about being Bengali. And and do you think a lot of that has to do with um, your parents really setting a, a proper migratory state? Or what was their story like coming over? I don't even think they were intentional in that aspect of uh, raising their kids. I think it honestly had to do with the temples being really close to us. And a lot of those temples, uh, people from out of state drive to on as a weekend getaway. And so people from Virginia are coming in or Kansas or Canada even. And so to be that close 20 to 30 minutes away from uh, an Indian American haven where I took classical dance classes every Sunday. And I got to go to Hindu temple summer camp every summer, overnight sleepaway camp. And so I think it was more that um, just being in the region and being surrounded by fellow immigrant Indians and also their children. I know that one of the first Indian couples my parents met was I believe in a Kmart in Greensburg and they just saw each other (laughs) from across the aisles of clothing and um, they, they met and they started talking and they, they stayed friends to this day. And that kept happening. I believe with the Indian couples that were moving to the region, you would kind of run into them at the mall or at McDonald's and, and just start, talking to each other because you recognize that they were either wearing a sari or uh, speaking in an accent, or you could just tell they were Indian. And that's how my parents found their community. But, but I truly believe it wasn't intentional. I think it was just uh, serendipitous and lucky that we happened to be near uh, these temples. And for, for your upbringing, because, you know, you're a very smart person. You, you were in a spelling bee. I, I still feel like if you were you're raised in California, you'd be like, oh, radish. Oh, uh, used in a burrito. So radish, R-A-D, you know, you would like completely spell that cor- cor- correctly. But I mean, in that case, was your parents relatively strict in pushing you to be well-versed classically? Or was it just kind of like a free-flowing Thing. Not at all. Not at all. I've, I've, I've been a reader ever since I was a little girl. I loved reading. Even when we would go to these Indian parties on the weekends to celebrate graduations and birthdays and anniversaries, my friends remember me as the girl in a bright red sweatshirt sitting in the corner reading her books and not really talking to anyone. But they, they just left me alone. I wasn't bullied or anything. And um, as when I did the class spelling bee. I don't even think I told my parents. They 
didn't really care about that kind of stuff. And so I did the class spelling bee. I won. I came home and I was like, I won the spelling bee. I don't know. I guess that's cool. And then they were proud of me for that, but they, but they didn't push it on me. And I went to regionals and I lost in the first round and they didn't care about it. It wasn't something that disappointed them. Um, and um, I know that nowadays it feels like the kids in spelling bees are being trained to be sure. in these spelling bees. I'm watching all these documentaries and I'm like, wow, I did not get any kind of training. And maybe if I had, I would have gone on to nationals. But um, yeah, my parents never uh, forced me to do anything that I didn't want to do that I didn't have fun doing. And so I think in that sense, they allowed me to find the things that I loved, the things that I was passionate about, which turned out to be writing and performing. And, and I was also just naturally good at the academic stuff as well. So uh, you have, there's people who are raised, you know, in, in a great environment, but they act privileged. Your, your endeavor was, wait, uh, I'm going to do engineering so I don't burden my parents, which is pretty noble for someone at a young age to do. Um, was there a point when you went through high school, now you're in college, prestigious college, and you go, oh, I, I should just go straight to film school or, or just move? Or was, was really, like, were you really fairly determined about getting the yeah, engineering. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I definitely remember the moment when this was, I was junior year abroad in Sydney, Australia, and continued to be doing musicals and theater and, and took a bunch of performing classes in Sydney. And we were, I was at the University of New South Wales, which is right across the street from uh, the NIDA, which is the National Institute of Dramatic Art. And a lot of my uh, new Australian friends they were performers as well. And they said, you should audition for NIDA to get into this, you know, dramatic theater school. And I was like, oh man, I really want to do that. But I am three years into my engineering degree and I'll be finished in a year. So that was where I decided, okay, I'm going to go back home to Cleveland and finish my degree and figure out a way to get to LA. And so once I got back from junior abroad, I got an internship at Accenture, which was still in Cleveland. And at the end of that summer, they asked me, well, they offered me a job, number one. And they also asked me where I wanted to go. And I was like, Los Angeles. And they sure. said, great. So right after I graduated, they they relocated me out to Los Angeles and shipped my car and did all of that stuff. And then the beauty of consulting work is you don't really work unless you are placed on a project. And I just tried really hard not to get placed on a project. And in the <laughs> meantime, in the meantime, I just, you know, went to auditions, met with agents, did acting classes and, really built the foundation for a, a professional career in Los Angeles. Did you ever go through, because with, with your look, if you told me if you were Hawaiian and Latin, okay. If you told me you were mixed black, okay. And you look like to me, uh, like, you know, the British and the South Asian mixed, but, but in that casting process of, of being a commercial actor, which you were successful, which could have, possibly derailed you from the goals because you're already in that creative field. Was it easy or was it difficult because you had such a um, unique look at that time, at least? I think throughout my career, it has been more difficult because okay. I, I think on a recent audition that I had before the pandemic, this was when we were still going into the offices with the casting directors and the producers. Sure. And this was probably about four years ago. I was auditioning for a very popular sitcom and to play a, a big role in this sitcom. And I went in and it was me and four other Indian American young women that I knew and that I was friends with. So that's always a fun part of the process. You get to know all the people that you're auditioning with. And uh, 
uh, went in, did a great job. They were laughing. The, the producers, uh, I walked out and I got a call from my agent. I hadn't even left the building yet. And my agent was like, oh, they loved you. Um, they love your energy. They wanted to ask if you were 100% Indian. And I was like, okay. I, first of all, I don't think they're allowed to ask that. Sure. Second of all, I, I just responded. Yeah, I'm hundred percent Indian. My parents are from Calcutta. I speak fluent Bengali. And as soon as I got off the phone, I was like, oh, I'm not going to book this job because I'm not what they think an Indian woman looks like. So, so for me, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword because I'm, I don't book a lot of specifically Indian roles, but I book roles that where they're looking at uh, any kind of woman or any kind of young woman. And, and those are, those are seriously some of the more fun roles to play anyway. Sure. And, and a lot of people don't realize there's like Bengalis that are Hindu and Bengalis that are Muslim. You know, like a Filipino from Eagle Rock is different from a Filipino from Northridge. You know, it, it, it's a completely different uh, under nuance or undereducated part of who you are. Um, did you find it easy to get along with? Uh, you, you already mentioned that you you were friends with the people in the casting. Um, but was there some of that crab mentality between other South Asian or brown? None. None. Zero competition. No, I, th I think even uh, the past few years, even like a couple years before the pandemic, we all the the Indian American slash Asian American community in general has. Uh, is all about support. It's all about supporting each other. And me personally coming up in awkward black girl and doing insecure, I saw firsthand um, we actually just celebrated our 11th anniversary of Aqua Black Girl. And Congrats. and I saw firsthand like Issa was coming up at the same time that Ava DuVernay was coming up. It's the same time that Lena Waithe and Justin Simeon and Barry Jenkins. And I saw them all supporting each other before they had gone on to become these really big names. And I said to myself, oh, this is what our community needs to do. This is what the South Asian American community needs to do and the Asian American filmmaking community. We just need to all support each other and, and not have that crabs in a barrel mentality and, and recognize that there's room for all of us and that we all have our own authentic points of view and specific stories that we want to tell. And when you were still working at Accenture um, and you were already casting, um, did you feel any anxiety like I should just quit? I should just quit because I'm already casting or were you still pretty steadfast about like, let me make this money for emergencies and then let me just get out there and cast? Get I casting. actually had a great time working at Accenture because I sure. didn't treat it seriously at all. So I made friends while I was there. I had fun. I went to parties and and it was an amazing job, an entry level position that was paying me a ton of money when I was 20 years old. And I am someone who enjoys living in the moment. And yes, I had planned to move to LA to pursue entertainment. But at the same time, I was enjoying the experience of working for a corporation as well. And I use that experience in my writing and um, my, my artistic endeavors. And so I, I was never, I never wanted to quit. I, I did get laid mm. off after a year, which was right amazing. And I got severance and unemployment and it was during a round of layoffs. So it wasn't even me not doing a great job. It was a bunch of people got laid off with me. And at that point I said to myself, okay, the timing is actually right because I've been auditioning and we'll see what happens with those. And then about six to eight months later, I, I booked three national commercials. And, and so it all happened when it was supposed to happen. And uh, if you, I know you've mentioned this quite a bit, but 
you know, if you could mention like the stocks that they offered to you and you got that check and then you just invested in yourself. Yes. Yeah. Huh? So in 2015, I, I had just gone on a, on a trip to Joshua tree for the first time with a friend of mine shot her music video there for a weekend. And I was super inspired by Joshua tree. I just looked around and I was like, this place exists, this middle of the desert, you know, it's got like cowboy vibes. And, and then I just started thinking to myself, okay, I'm Indian. There's a play on words there, cowboys and Indians. The, the inspiration just started churning in my head. And I knew I wanted to go back and shoot something there. I wasn't sure what that was going to be, but then I wrote my short film over Christmas and then I, it was tax season <laughs> and I got a letter in the mail and I was like, huh, what are these stocks? So then I called the number and they said, oh, these were stocks that Accenture gifted to you. Um, and I was like, oh, uh, how much are they worth? And they said $5,500. And I said, fantastic. Send me the check. And I said, well, we don't recommend you cashing out the stocks now. And I said, uh, send me the check. So I used that $5,500 to fund my short film, Cowboy and Indian. And we shot it in one day in Joshua Tree. Uh, it was one day and one night. And I, what was great about Cowboy and Indian was I allowed myself the permission to fail on that short because the $5,500 was money that I wasn't even aware that I had. And so it was all on me. It was all my fault if it turned out terrible. And I, I wanted to see if I could write, direct, produce, and star in a, a movie. And when we went through post-production and we got the final product, and like you said, it's just a little over eight minutes, I was like, this is okay. This is not a bad short film. And I was really excited about it. And then it got into a bunch of film festivals. Uh, this was pre-pandemic 2016, 2017. So we, I got to see Cowboy and Indian on the big screen with, with audiences and in blocks with similar shorts that were really amazing as well. And so it was just like a really awesome experience. And um, yeah, and that's how I made my short film with Accenture stocks. Was it a debate of like 5K, do I buy a camera? No, I'm just going to rent. Uh, or, or you knew already like what the game plan was with the 5K? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no, uh, I wasn't going to buy a camera. <laughs> I, for for me, I'm like, okay, we got the 5K. We're going to have an amazing cast and crew. And obviously the cast was just two people, but, but the crew was really important to me in terms of who my DP was going to be and the equipment that he was going to use and uh, making sure that we had great sound and music and um, it, I just wanted to make sure it was everything that I envisioned in a technical sense. Yeah, that, that's what I learned quite a bit from your story as far as for the the stocks and that 5K check. If I, I've made the mistake where, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy the camera. I'm going to buy the MK416 uh, shotgun mic. Completely wrong math because then you're stuck. Then you don't have a crew to operate it. So that's... I guess great, uh, not I guess, but great advice for up and comers where it's like, if you have the money, just network, hire the crew. Yeah. Also, I mean, I would, uh, I know that I do not have the skills of a experienced DP and, and in terms of camera and equipment, I believe that's changing all the time and getting updated. So um, I, for me, it was about, okay, let's, let's, focus on the people that we gather around us. We focus on the team so that we can uh, produce the best product possible. Right. And I feel like the, the networking, I don't know if you've experienced this while you were casting and developing a network throughout either while working corporate or even post that. Um, could you spot someone who's like 
oh, this person's not going to make because they act way too privileged. It's it's like those actors that they're I will not be in this film. You you could tell like, oh, my God, this person's way too high maintenance that they might be a, a professional bridge burner. You know, did you get to experience a lot of that in your coming up? Wow. No, no, not at all. I, I, um, I think as a director, as an actor, uh, we tend to listen to our instincts. We listen to our gut. And in terms of people, I, I'm actually really good about, you know, I, I call them energy suckers. I'm good mm-hmm. about, uh, if I meet someone who's an energy sucker, I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is someone that I can't spend a lot of time with. And so, um, I, in my professional career have, have, been pretty lucky to be surrounded by amazing people and to be able to work with these people has been quite the journey. Right. And and a lot of the casting for this latest release, I mean, a lot of them, you know, I got into a, a, a specific debate about like Selena, cause you know, uh, Jennifer Lopez is Puerto Rican. She's playing a Mexican American uh, from Texas, you know, Selena, and, you know, not everyone's going to be from Kolkata or Bengali, right? And um, were there any experiences from your cast? I go, I didn't know that. Even though I'm South Asian, I didn't know that about people from Calcutta, you know, or a Hindu thing. Did they discover throughout the process of like, oh, I'm glad I'm in this movie because I didn't know that about being Bengali. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think one of my favorite moments uh, was uh, Parvesh China, who plays a hilarious cameo as the manager of the Patel brothers in the scene at the grocery store. He had read the script and he called me and, and said, I learned so much about Bengali culture. And that was cool. Just as a fellow first generation Indian American, I think that's what's really exciting to me is that. Hollywood slash Western media tends to group us all into this Indian bowl and and what they tend to write with our characters is a very generic Indian type of person. And I think what has really come out of this new generation of writers is that we are writing to what we specifically are. So so I would love to see a story about a Gujarati Indian or a Punjabi Indian or a South Indian, because those would all be different stories because we all have different food and traditions. And we do have a lot of similarities, but I think that's what's fun. It's like, I want to know about, you know, how a South Indian family goes through something, you know? So in that specificness is where uh, the universality happens. It's where if you get really specific with your characters and your stories, then you can really dig into, oh, what what do all humans experience? Right. And, and even it's interesting because you come, I mean, you were born and raised in the U.S., right? So, but even though you're but your parents are immigrants on one of the interviews I was listening to, they they were asking about your representation. You were talking about race and culture, but they meant representation as in an agent, right? And it still affects us who are non-Caucasian, non-Euros, you know? So representation is so important. And how did, how did it feel or maybe how does it feel now? Like still, even when they refer to AAPI, but that's really more Southeast Asian, right? Versus South Asian. Do you feel included into that batch or is it not, in a good way, you know, separate from that? Like Korean, Filipino, feel, Chinese? I do feel included, which has uh, been awesome. I, I have been approached by a lot of the Asian American filmmaker supportive groups um, early on in the process of, hey, like we want to have lunch with you because you seem to know a lot of the other Indian Americans in Hollywood. Um, let's just chat and and then maybe we can 
you know, find a way to combine forces. And then I have always, you know, shared like, oh, these are the, you know, Indian American female filmmakers that you should keep your eye on. And um, I think uh, the groups now are doing a really great job of reaching out to the other communities, such as uh, the Filipino community and the South Asian community, us brown Asians, if you will. Right. Yeah, I'm half. I'm 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 half yellow Asian, half brown, Chinese yeah, and yeah. Filipino. So yeah. but yeah, yeah, I would like to, you know, thank you and Ava. Like you guys are helping Filipinos and Asian males out quite a bit. You had like the, that doctor, uh, the love interest. I'm trying not to give anything away. Um, you know, that did that's, you know that and you know the the girl that plays my best friend in Lane. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and not, I mean, Jesus Christ, for me to know this and express it, she was like in Lizzie McGuire or one of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I think I think uh, that's a great example of like, you know, you had a photo with Issa Rae doing like a casting rap where it's just this white, black, uh, Bengali, Asian. It, it, I think people miss miss the point of life sometimes, you know? So I'm so happy that like you're, you're, you know, putting us on the map too. Like Ava, they put up a, a Ray, who's your distributor. Their, their offices are in Filipino town. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, a Ray coming on board has just been an incredible experience. You know, we had our one and a half year virtual film festival run, which was really positive, really great. We, picked up so many fans along the way. We got some awards, which was cool and a bright light in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, when we got the call from Array, I believe in October of 2021, pretty, I mean, it was a few months ago. Yeah, it's um, yesterday. <laughs> it was uh, very exciting and, and to be able to show the movie on Netflix to millions of people is kind of mind blowing because as an, low budget independent filmmaker, you kind of envision your film to go to those festivals and then maybe get picked up by a small distributor and then maybe play in one or two theaters in LA and New York for a week. And then it just disappears and maybe 20 people have seen your film. And so to have uh, Ava and Array and Netflix come on board has just made a lot of a difference and would you say for for like a creative uh, is because th there's always the youtube platform right there's always a vimeo or youtube platform but from your experience with the circuit of being in a film festival is that stronger an alternative for promoting your film or it just it just sometimes it's just timing and who sees it I mean, I really enjoyed the film festival run because I had already a lot of the festivals that played Definition Please actually played Cowboy and Indian four or five years ago. And and it was fun coming back as an alumni, this time with a feature film. So I I think having a film on on the festival circuit can only be positive. Right, because I feel like people get deterred because there's a, you know, I mean, the process could be a lot, right? So they just go YouTube, tweet, Instagram, okay, it's in God's hands. But the circuit being virtual, didn't you miss like people actually laughing and like hearing the laughs, the groans being in person or was the vir virtuality of it better for your marketing and discovering definition, please. Oh, definitely. I wish we could have traveled to the film festivals in the regions. Uh, there was one festival we got into Hawaii International Film Festival. Oh, dope. And, and I was like, I've never been to Hawaii. This would have been such a cool reason to go to Hawaii. And the fact that we missed out on attending that film festival in person was pretty devastating. Um, so yeah, there's nothing really compares to being able to watch your film 
with an audience on the big screen and hearing those laughs and hearing the reactions and the sniffles and the groans and the, and the cries, that's a special experience for sure. So has your mind changed now, your mindset change where it's like uh, before you're, you're trying, you're trying to get casted, but now you've dipped your toes in directing you with earned grace uh, is on Netflix on your debut, is it now your frame of mind? I'm just going to put my stuff out and feature myself. I'm not going to be auditioning for other projects. I mean, I still need money to put my stuff out and feature myself. (laughs) So that's still, uh, the hustle continues, but I, I really enjoy directing. So I am happy to pursue directing, writing, acting opportunities as they come come up. And um, I have a couple projects that I wrote over the pandemic that I would also star in and direct. So I'm excited to get those out there as well. Yeah, because like with Ava, I do believe she would, she, her first bigger budget was the MLK project, Martin Luther King Jr. project. Yeah, Selma. And with with you now, um, what other streams of income aside from acting do you like consult and direct or do you consult uh, for other people? Is, is Are there other ways people can hire you for projects? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm making some money writing my own projects and selling to uh, producers. So, uh, right now, currently I am pitching a project, um, that's attached to a studio. And so I've been getting paid for that and, um, yeah, different sources of income, all kind of aimed towards the same goal. Right. So like, are you for hire for someone like, Hey, uh, could you take a look at this script? I'll pay you this X amount. Is that something Um, I mean, if it's a good amount of money. Sure, right. (laughs) For sure. I will always consider projects um, to uh, in terms of that, for sure. Are you exclusive with like being with Film Courage or can you venture over to another uh, like YouTube page, like uh, Stage 32? Because I know they do a lot of like mentor to counseling type stuff out there. Oh, that's great. I um, am not exclusive to Film Courage. I definitely have done some work with Stage 32 already, and they've been big supporters oh, you have? Oh, okay. of me. Yeah, I was in a I was in a, a web series that I believe is now on HBO Max called Family Style, directed by Marie Jamora, who is a Filipina uh, director. And um, I've worked with them on other things as well. So Stage 32 is great. Yeah, I mean, I, I discovered you through Film Courage, but Stage 32, I've hired like entertainment lawyers through them. So I think it's a good time for people to not make as much mistakes on the way in creating stuff. Um, you know, a, a, an important part of the movie is your attachment. And before I hit record, we we're talking about mental health. Um do you feel for the younger generation like yourself? Because I'm 46. Is it harder to deal because you have the internet burnout? Or do you think it's more difficult? Going societal here instead of like film for a little bit. In terms of mental health? Right. Like because, you know, there's so much pressure into looking like an Instagram model or well, I'm a filmmaker, but these people that I'm following are far more ahead of my game. I may just want to quit. Do, do you feel for for your younger generation, it's 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 more inspiring, or is it harder for for? Film I think crit- it's exciting movies. for the younger generation because mm-hmm. now uh, there, there's really no excuse to not make content anymore because everyone has phones. Even like the newest iPhone has this really amazing uh, filmatic shots and. I believe uh, you should always start small because I think even like, let's say you're watching Parasite and you want to be Bong Joon-ho. That's hard to envision as a young filmmaker. And and you think, how am I ever going to make this amazing movie like Parasite? But, But something that I tell young filmmakers or budding 
creators is go back and watch first projects of your favorite director directors and see if you can be inspired by that. And, and then also your first project doesn't have to be a feature film. It wasn't mine. I was making little music videos with my band. And then I went on to do, you know, I was on awkward black girl. I was doing other web series. I did a web series called Larry and Lucy that we put out three episodes that no one watched. And, but I still am proud of that. And it's still up on YouTube. And it's all about taking those risks, making the lit, the short videos, um, taking advantage of TikTok, taking advantage of all of the new social medias that are out there to create, you know, 10 second videos and then work your way up from there and make your mistakes on these shorter videos so that every time you make the next video, it'll be better and you learn from your mistakes. Yeah, I think there's there's something about the whatever career gods that observe people um, that that continue with the journey where they they're, you know, it's kind of like the theory where if you're asking for help for your to tow your car, no one's going to help you. But if they see you pushing the car, the creative gods come there to help and you build a network, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there's something about that. Um, do you personally, can you watch a TV series or a movie as a consumer? Because now you're in deep producer, director, lead, can you watch a series and just enjoy it instead of the, oh, I think that looks like an Ari Alexia shot. Oh, look at the lighting that they went there. You know, can you just enjoy something visual like a TV or a movie series? Yeah, I can. Which really? Is, which is pretty awesome. Um, and I like watching stupid stuff, you know, and, you know, where you don't have to think about it and, and I like watching, you know, elevated content as well. So I think uh, I do have the ability to just turn my brain off and enjoy something and not judge it and not think about the lighting or the directing or the acting. And, and that, that I'm glad I can do that because I do have other friends who are not able to do that. So in a sense of like, you, you, you know, there's a lot of comedians where they go, I, I'd rather be a comedian's comedian, right? But are you, do you envision like, hey, if they approach me to do the South Asian version of Shang-Chi? Oh, I would say yes in a second. Right. Aside from, aside from, the, from the dollars, though, you know? Yeah, I would say yes in a second. I'd, I loved Shang-Chi. I watched it. Actually, for the first time over Christmas, I finally had some time to sit down and watch it with my parents. And they were actually really excited because I don't know if you noticed this, but Kunal Dudekar, who's in my film mm -hmm. and plays Rahul, the young, my rival spelling bee champion. Um, he's also in Shang-Chi in the. Uh, I haven't the seen book. it yet. Oh, you haven't seen it. No, is, oh, it okay, a, is it a good watch? I loved it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it was really great. So I would say completely yes, right away if Marvel called. Right. Well, one of your peers, you know, Ava is like, oh, well, here's a few million dollars. Do do Selma. Right. So that would be like your Selma in a sense. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I, I would probably compare it more to my Wrinkle in Time because Ava also did Wrinkle mm, in Time mm, for Disney. Mm. Which yeah. is a bigger budget than right. Selma. Yeah. Way bigger. Yeah, you, you know, um, oh, uh, I know I'm taking a lot of your time. I'll, I'll wrap pretty soon. But uh, this is more on a fan, unprofessional podcast podcaster here. Um, I loved how you colored the movie. The font that you use, that yellow font. It, it's so charming. It's 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 it felt like small town signature, you know, to it. And, and that ending the music, the cut from the Nat sound. I'm trying not to give anything away. Forgive me. The cut from the Nat sound in the car to the people celebrating. It, it, it was just, I, I, I got like one of those like chilling moments where I was just like, this chick put so much work and managed to not kill people and kept 
and then wrap the movie so beautifully. Um, what's the hardest part of the process? Is it pre? Is it filming? Is it post? What's the most challenging part in your experience that, you know, not necessarily in a negative way, but just it's the most challenging part for you? For me, the most challenging part was not in the creation of the movie at all. So it wasn't pre, during, or post. It was finding a distributor. Mm. That was that was the hardest part. Because as we were on our festival run, we had, you know, reached out to a bunch of distributors and buyers, and it we just kept getting no's. We just kept getting rejected. So that was the most, uh, that was the hardest part. So in lesson, do you, like, you know how some people create something, but do you write it out first before you shoot anything? So in your case, do you find distribution first before you shoot anything or what? what, what would I don't know, that's, that's tough. That's tough to secure before sure. you shoot anything. And and with distribution and with film financing, you know, they the generic model that everyone uses is, is to have a star, an established star attached to your film so that it does find a distributor. It does get two or $3 million for that star. And so that's, that's a really tough uh, way to go. That, that feels more like selling out than, than doing a South Asian Marvel movie, which I would just jump at the chance to do. And, and so I think it is about, you know, having these discussions with film financiers and distributors and say uh, you're doing uh, filmmakers of color and female filmmakers a disservice by, by wanting to have these, there's like five or 10 celebrities in the world. So you have to have them attached to your film before you can move forward. That's, that's kind of a, a, a crazy approach to filmmaking and, and I hope that that changes. Yeah, I feel maybe you can just react to this, like the roots and D'Angelo. I'm I'm way older, so I'm dating myself, like '90s soul and and hip hop. Like they give them like two, three albums to develop, right? But now that there's social media and numbers, I feel like uh, a lot of uber talented people well you don't have the social media following you don't have the plays on youtube you don't have the plays on ig and tiktok is that does that make it harder or is that a different mentality where it's like no you just got to keep pushing is it harder do you feel because there I think is that's a, that's a different mentality and and i think the the talent will rise up and you know there was a whole decade of hollywood where uh, the casting directors wouldn't even see you unless you had this minimum amount of followers. And uh, I believe that has changed because they, they were putting uh, influencers in these lead roles and uh, you could tell that they couldn't pull it off acting wise. And, and, and now it's going back to, Oh, let's, let's see, let's find the best possible talent. Let's find the best possible actor for this role. And um, I think that's really exciting because I think there are a slew of younger filmmakers uh, who are just making films and making sure that we hire the the best talent possible, no matter what amount of followers you have on social media. Now, you, with definition, please, you mentioned Debbie Allen quite a bit as far as for like being a great influence being nurturing what's an example of debbie nurturing maybe talent or like crew that that you saw where oh that's how i'm gonna do uh, that's how i'm gonna hook up my crew that's how i'm gonna I run mean, my i thing. mean there was like a specific moment that happened during insecure when we were all shooting uh a conference room scene during one of the we got all moments i believe in season three of insecure and uh, she just made every single person feel like they mattered, feel like they were important and integral to the story and the scene. And it, it as she was giving us uh, direction, she was standing behind me and she started playing with my hair, which was very calming and nice. And I was like, oh my God, always remember this moment. But obviously <laughs> that's not something that 
I feel like I can do to actors on set. Sure. I think that's something that Debbie Allen can specifically do. Um, but I wanted to take that, like, how did her playing with my hair calm me and put me in a safe space in terms of acting freely in the scene. And I wanted to bring that energy to my actors when I was directing definition, please. I wanted to um, channel uh, just how she made me feel. And and in that case, um, was it, easier to give that vibe out since a lot of the the cast were six degrees of separation or people you just knew right away did you have to settle and make people calm people down or was it pretty smoothly because it seems i mean like- it, to be honest it had to be smooth right off the bat if whether you were new or or not so we we hired a lot of crew that were local that I hadn't worked with before. And we did hire some cast that I hadn't worked with before. And we had, you know, a set amount of shooting days, a set amount of budget. So you kind of had to just get there and do it um, instantaneously. And so I wanted to bring that energy right away. Okay. Um, I think uh, a a lot of people need to know like how your drive is so amazing. I mean, from from knowing that that you didn't want to burden your parents, you were working corporate, but you still stuck to the goal. I think it's easier for people to go left instead of staying in the lane of pursuing that. I really appreciate you uh, spending a lot of time for this pod. Um, and, and you're an amazing representation for South Asian and Asians in general and, and filmmakers in general. You know, lastly, is it harder being female or is it harder being of an unknown culture, like such as being Southeast Asian and trying to South Asian and trying to come up in entertainment? I mean, that's really hard if I were to put myself. Yeah, that's that's that. I don't think I can truly answer that question because I'm both. So I think I think it's all hard. I think no matter who you are in entertainment, it's, it's a struggle and it's about perseverance. It's about determination. It's about talent. It's about who you surround yourself with, who you decide to work with. And, um, I truly believe you, you just need to create your own work to succeed in this business. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.